All right, we are in session 22. 22 out of 24, working our way through the book of Acts. So as we're going through the book, we're taking notice of these various, what we call heroes of the faith. They're just ordinary Christians, just like you, just like me, but that God used them in extraordinary ways because they submitted their lives to the Holy Spirit. And so as we're going along, we're seeing that God's plan, even today, 2,000 years later, is to do the same thing, is to raise up you and me to be heroic in our faith in certain areas. And this morning, uh, we are going to look at our next hero of the faith, who is the Apostle Paul. And we're going to take notice of something in Paul's life that is clearly heroic. And anytime any of us uh, identifies with this area, brings this area into our lives, we become heroic. Now, the whole theme verse for the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Luke is writing the book, and he says, in quoting Jesus, you will be my witnesses. Notice it doesn't say, they will be my witnesses. No, you will be Jesus' witness. That is his plan for your life. And and in so doing, there are many different ways, 24 different ways that we're studying to be the Lord's witness and be heroic in this day and age. And today we're going to look at this 22nd trait of a heroic believer. So here's our hero of the faith trait today. One of the most heroic things you can do is to simply tell your story. And you can do it in one minute. And you can do it in a powerful way. Now let me begin by giving you three facts about your story. The first is this. It is one of a kind. You know, every person has a story to tell. Your story is one of a kind. No one else on earth has your story. If you don't tell it, it will never be told. It will never be shared. Psalm 66, verse 16 says this, Come, let me tell you what God has done for me. Do you know that God wants to use you (laughs) so that you would tell others what he has done in your life? That's part of your story. We're talking about your spiritual story. We're talking about your God story. It's one of a kind. Second, it can't be argued with. People, they can argue with the Bible. They can argue with theology. They can argue facts and statistics if you throw those out to them. But they can't argue with your story. It's your story. What are they going to say? I don't believe in your story. You know, you're telling, hey, it's my story, dude, you know? I mean, you can't argue with your story. Hmm. Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Spiritual victory is led as you share your story. Hmm. Lastly, it's given to you by God to be told. Look at Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. If you are redeemed of the Lord, God wants you to tell your story. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say this. God wants you to tell your story. Just tell that to someone. (laughs) You and I, according to Acts 1.8, are to be his witness, and part of being his witness is telling our story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Hmm. Let me make an observation. Every day, as you enter life, you're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces at work that we can't even see, And and one of the things the enemy likes to do to you as a Christian is to minimize your belief in the power of your story, to cause you to believe that your story isn't very important, it's not very, you know, interesting, that no one wants to hear it. And if 
the enemy can get you to believe that he's going to rob you of you becoming a hero of the faith in this era. It's very easy to just fall into the temptation of, of underestimating the power of your story. And I'd like you to talk about that at your tales because I think it's very common. And some of us, you know, really kind of have believed this hook, line, and sinker. But I'd like you to talk about what are some reasons why we think our story, it's not that important to tell. What are some reasons why we think that? Talk about that at your tables for a moment. Okay, let's read. I'd like us to read out loud our hero of the faith trait. Again, can we do that? You see it on your outlines. Here it is. Ready? One of the most heroic... Now, we're not all reading it out loud. Ready? Here it is. One of the most heroic things you can do is to simply tell your story. Now, question. Is it possible to tell your story in a compelling way? I mean in a way where a non-Christian, their jaw will drop and go, tell me more. I want to hear more. Oh, absolutely it is. If you get trained, how? And we'll do it today. I will teach you how to share a story where a non-Christian will absolutely lean in and want to hear more It's not that difficult. Good, I'm glad we got your attention. I can tell you're leaning in, aren't you? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to travel with the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how Paul, on two occasions, tells his story. Now, six times in the book of Acts, he does. But we're going to study two of these today. And we're going to learn some important things about storytelling. I'm talking about your spiritual story. And we're going to see Paul on his missionary journey, and he's going to complete his third missionary journey. Actually, we're going to cover six chapters today. It's probably the most I've ever covered in one sermon. We're not going to read all of this. I'm going to skim a lot of this, but give you the context, and then we're going to focus in on his story. So in Acts chapter 21 to 26, Paul basically, and let's put a map up here. He journeys from right here, from in this area where he actually had in chapter 20, his meeting with the Ephesian elders. Um, And then he's going to go from here all the way, well, this direction, you can see the map, and make his way all the way to Tyre, and here is Israel. And so, let's read just a little bit, you know, some scriptures here. We're in Acts 21 right now, so if you don't have a Bible, or if you do, open it, and let's begin to just look at some scripture here, and then we'll we'll focus in on the, the stories. Acts 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them, that's the Ephesian elders, here at a place called Miletus. Uh, we put out to sea, and so he's going to sail, and he went straight to cause, and then he's going to make his way past Cyprus right here, and then he's going to land there at Tyre, which is here. They have some prayer on the beach there, and then he continues south, ultimately to Caesarea. Many of you have been with me to Caesarea. I'm going to show you a picture of Caesarea later, Um, and he stays at the house of Philip, the evangelist. And uh, there's a discussion there. Let's read that, verse 10, after we had been there a number of Days a prophet named Agabus uh, came down from Judea, coming over. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, being Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we, you know, Luke's part of this, when we heard this, Luke's the author of this book, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go there. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord if that's necessary. So they couldn't persuade him. And Paul makes his journey then from Caesarea all the way to Jerusalem. That's 75 miles. Many of you have driven with me that uh, length, and you kind of know. You go up to Jerusalem. So what happens at Jerusalem? Chapter 21, verse 17, when we arrived Uh, at Jerusalem, the brothers and the sisters received Paul warmly. Remember, he's been on a missionary journey. He's been all through Europe, 
Thousands of people are turning to Christ. The next day, Paul, you know, uh, went and, and saw James and the elders in the Jerusalem church, and Paul greeted them, reported them, all that, you know, God has been doing through the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard of this, they praised God, but then they said, Paul, guess what? There are a lot of people in Jerusalem who don't get you. I mean, all these Gentiles are turning to Christ. They think you're teaching that the law is not necessary anymore. And they said, you need to go to the temple and, 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 and do a purification rite. So let me show you a picture of the temple. Here is uh, the temple in Jerusalem. It's going to appear here at some point when Robert wakes up. Give us the temple, Robert. There it is. See? Amazing. And so here's the temple. This is a model. And Paul would have gone into here. There are many mikvahs, these uh, purification rite, you know, baths that he would have taken. Some of you have seen them over there. And then Paul would have gone into the temple to worship. It was part of what you would do as a Jew. And then certain Jews saw Paul there. They knew what he was doing, and they got really jealous, and they claimed that he brought Greeks into the temple, and Gentiles passed where you could bring Gentiles, and just a, basically a riot almost breaks out. And, uh, <laughs> it, and they it, you go down to verse uh, 35. Paul was taken by this crowd. He was arrested. They're trying to seize Paul and kill him. Uh, they're at the temple accusing him of something he hadn't done, and they bring him to the barracks, which basically was the Antonia Fortress. So right here is the Antonia Fortress. So they seized him some here in here, tried to kill him, and uh, the, the Romans came over and arrested him, brought him to the fortress. Now show me the, the picture of the other. There you go. Here's the fortress. So Paul would have made his way probably right around here. A crowd is coming in, and he's being protected, and right here he would address what he does is he tells what happens at this point, he tells him his story. In, in verse chapter 22, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And then he goes into a story. We're not going to study a story here because I'm going to share it to you later. The second times he shares it. And the crowd, verse chapter 22, verse 20, they listen to Paul tell a story in rapt attention until he talks about how God called them to go to the Gentiles. And the Jews didn't like that because they still felt that God should be to them the way they felt God should be only to them, and they went nuts. And they said, this guy should not be alive, rid the earth of him. And they tried to kill him, but then they brought Paul into uh, the barracks, into the Antonia. And then they, they called the Sanhedrin, and they brought Paul before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high uh, council. Go ahead and show me the picture. This is the best one I could find you of what they would have brought Paul before. And they're accusing him of all these things, and Paul's like, wow. And then Paul recognized that some were Sadducees, some were Pharisees, and he said, hey, I'm on trial today for the resurrection of, of Jesus. And it divided the crowd. Paul was brilliant, and they began to fight each other. <laughs> and then you find in verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. You need to tell your story in Rome. I'm going to get you to Rome. Don't worry. Well, verse 12, this is chapter 23, the next morning, uh, 40 Jews form a conspiracy to kill Paul. Paul's nephew, a little boy, hears about this, tells it, the story to Paul that these guys have sworn not to eat food until they kill Paul. And Paul tells the commander, the Roman commander, about this. The commander, verse 22, dismissed the young man and said, don't you tell anyone that you reported this to me. And what happened? Then he called two of the centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. Look at that. And take Paul to Caesarea. Take him back 75 miles, bring back the, okay, here's Caesarea. So they bring him back to this port city. This is an artist's rendition of Caesarea. And they bring him to this place, which is basically Herod's temple complex. Um, and Maybe show the next picture. This is uh, a picture today of what's, what's left, and this is a picture of the pool of Herod. Most likely, the Apostle Paul would have swam in that pool. And I tried to get the picture of my son Luke swimming in it, which he wasn't supposed to do, but he did anyway, and I took a picture of it. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a cool picture. 
I was like, swimming where the Apostle Paul swam. Is that like cool? Anyway, uh, anyway, so what happens with Paul here? Basically, he stays here under arrest. Uh, look at chapter 24, verse 27. When two years had passed, Paul, Paul's arrested and he stays there two years. Hmm. Then what happens? Well, then you've got this whole situation with what do we do with the Apostle Paul? You've got all the Jews in Jerusalem that still want to kill Paul. And so they come over, press charges against Paul, and, uh, and finally Paul realizes, i got to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome. And in verse 12, after Festus had conferred with the council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you're going to go. Festus, the governor, realizes he has nothing to write to Rome about Paul. I mean, what is he being accused of? And so King Agrippa II, this is the great grandson of Herod the Great. There were many Herods. And Agrippa II uh, shows up into Caesarea, and, uh, and Agrippa said, hey, I'd like to hear Paul myself. I want to hear his story. And, and I'll help you figure out what to write to Rome. And the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, they all come together in this grand meeting. You see there in verse 23 of Acts 25. And then go to chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, uh, you have permission to speak for yourself. Paul comes into a huge audience. This is a huge political rally. Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And he tells his story again. Now, we're going to study his story and learn some awesome things about it in a second. But what I want to point out to you right now, just kind of put a little pause on that. And let me give you two truths to remember about your story. And then we'll come back to his story. The first is this. God has places arranged for you to tell your story. He has places already prearranged. Your story is so important, he's determined this. In chapter 23, verse 11, you see this. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have told your story about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify. You must tell your story in Rome. I'm going to bring you to Rome. God knows where he wants you to tell your story. It's already prearranged. When you were with me <clears throat> in Israel, the last time I was there, we were in Capernaum. Remember? We went to Capernaum. And what, what, what happened in Capernaum? It rained, right? Capernaum, remember that? Those of you who were with me, 40 of you were there. And it just pouring rain. This is the, uh, the ministry center for Jesus in Galilee. And as we were there, uh, Lisa led us in singing. We were singing a song. And as we're singing, I see this young girl come out of nowhere and kind of join us in the background, and she's just observing. And I'm like, this is really interesting because it's pouring, no one's around, and this girl shows up, not part of our group. After we finished our meeting, we did some teaching, and it's pouring rain, we're under a canopy, um, I make my way over to this young girl. She's in her 20s, and I say, hi, Mark. Uh, what's your name? Julie. And I go, Julie, I go, what are you doing here? She goes, I'm here in defiance of my parents. I'm coming here because I need to find God. I need to know what this is all about. I'm on a spiritual quest. And so I said, wow. We took an umbrella and we needed to get back to the bus, and everyone's walking back to the bus, and I'm talking with Julie, and I just tell her my story, that I was on a quest, share with her the gospel, tears in her eyes. She prayed to receive Christ under that umbrella with rain crashing down, and I just put my arm around her like a daughter, shepherded her all the way back to the bus, brought her into the bus, and remember we prayed for her. You see, God has arranged already the, the people he knows need your story. It, 
will not be like Paul, you know, going to Rome probably. But maybe it's at the gym. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's at a shopping center. Maybe it's someone who just had their car broken into and you're comforting them and then you share your story. Maybe it's you name the place. The movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. Remember the famous tagline, if you build it, what? If you have your story ready to be shared, God will bring people to you. They will come. Because I'm constantly telling my story. And I'm no different than you. I tell my story all the time. And non-Christians, they just can't get enough of it. You say, Mark, what's the secret? You may not be telling your story the right way. Now we're going to train you how to do it. Guarantee, if a non-Christian is not leaning in, you are not telling your story the right way. You have an awesome story, but you must learn how to tell it the right way. We're going to train you. But I want you to know, God has places arranged for you to tell your story. Second, God has people prepared who long to hear your story. People long to hear your story. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at chapter 25, verse 22. Then Agrippa, this is a Herod, a king, said to Festus, I would like to hear the man, I would like to hear this guy's story, this Apostle Paul's story. Apostle Paul, everyone's hearing about this guy. Guess what happens at work? People hear about you. Guess what happens on your street? All my neighbors hear about me. They know things about me. I'm a Christian. I stand out. You're a Christian. You stand out. There is the heart of every non-Christian that longs for the reality of a real genuine Christian. Could this be someone who really knows God, who isn't a fake, who isn't a hypocrite? Could this be the real person? Every heart longs for that. Every non-Christian is desperate. They are searching. They don't give a rip about religion. If you bring them religion, they don't care. They don't want that. They want the real thing. Someone who loves God, someone who's, who God lives within, and they will listen, and they will be amazed. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Our world is restless. Everyone you know is a non-Christian is restless, and until they find their rest in God, they will forever be restless. And those who are non-Christians that know you're a Christian are hoping you might just be the one that's real. People you see are made in the image of God. That means the stamp of God is on them. It's inescapable. They are looking for God. They just don't know it. And when they see God face to face in you, it is powerful. They long for that. Pascal said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And when you begin to tell your story in the way that God wants you to tell your story, you begin to fill the spiritual vacuum void in a non-Christian's life. And they will listen, they will lean in, and I see it all the time, all the time with non-Christians that I talk to. They can't get enough of my story. You just need to know how to tell your story. Because some of you, I'm being honest with you, have been telling your story in a way that is so offensive. <laughs> you try to throw the Bible down on people. That's not where you start. That's where you end. You've got to learn to tell your story the way the Apostle Paul told his story. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about this because I want you to really see that God is arranging history. History is his story. And, and God makes divine appointments all the time. 
And many of you have experienced those divine appointments where God has used your story. You know, you are, you're, one of the reasons why you need to come to followers is because you're sitting around tables with people that are so much more mature than you are, and you just have to admit that. You go, you know, I'm a young Christian. I have no idea to tell my story. But there's someone at your, your table who's telling their story, and they tell it well. And that's why you need to learn and listen to them. And, like, that's how you grow in your faith, by, by having humility to say, I can learn from, yes, the Word of God, as Pastor Mark or whoever's preaching, but also by the Word of God incarnate in the life of people around you. So this is what I'd like you to share. Can you tell about a time God arranged or prepared someone to hear your story? And you would humbly just offer that up, like, yeah, I almost was amazed when this happened, and God used my story to touch someone's life. Take a moment, talk about that, okay? Okay, let me give you three guidelines to tell your story. If you're going to tell your story in a way that is gripping, where people are going to lean in to hear it, these are the things you do. You just follow the Apostle Paul. Every good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's as simple as that. So let's see how Paul follows this kind of guideline. So you start with your beginning. Tell about your life apart from Jesus. That's where you start. You summarize quickly what you were like before you knew Jesus. And this is where Paul starts as he tells his story. Look at chapter 26, and uh, we'll just start reading verse 4. And Notice, he's talking about his life before he knew Jesus. And he's given this, he goes, listen to me patiently. He starts, the Jewish people all know, you guys all know, the way that I lived since I was a child. For the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. I was a religious Pharisee before I knew Jesus. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God night and day. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible if God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Guess what? I was a religious zealot, a Pharisee who opposed Christianity. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another, had them punished, tried to force them to blaspheme these Christians. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That is how you start. I was the number one worst Middle Eastern terrorist imaginable. And Paul was. He was the first. This is where you start. You come out with an attention getter. This is what I used to be religious. I was a fanatic, but the wrong religion. Killing Christians, arresting Christians. I was obsessed. You say, that's not me, Mark. Yeah, but you were a total drug addict, weren't you? You were completely addicted to porn. You were an adulterer at one point. You used to be full of hate and spite and anger. You got to tell that story. You got to tell what you were before you knew Jesus. I had six abortions. I hated people. I hated my mom. I hated my dad. Whatever. What is it? What figure? I was living for money. I was living for myself. I was a religious person, but I hated God, actually. For me, I would have said I was raised in a solid Christian family, but I lived, I lived for God. The God was me. I lived for money. I lived for girls. And I lived for cars. And I lived for myself. What about you? You, you start talking that way. You get a non-Christian's attention. That's where it starts. And then you build to the middle. You build to the middle of how you came to Jesus and how Jesus has changed your life. So notice, Paul tells how he came to Jesus in uh, chapter 26. 
and look, if you would, at verse 12. Now, your story's going to be different, but he says, well, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. This is how he came to Jesus. Let me tell you, every non-Christian is going to want to hear how you came to Jesus. I was on my way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, everyone's leaning in. About noon, what, what was going to happen? Notice he's giving details. The more details you can give about when you came to Jesus, the more the better. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. You tell that story, people are listening. We all fell to the ground, and we heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Everyone's going, what voice was that? A voice out of heaven? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Whoa! This is how Paul came to be a Christian. Jesus out of heaven is speaking to him. He's giving the details. For me, you've heard me so many times. I was saved July 27, 1981, all alone in my bedroom when God revealed himself to me in power. And I said, in humility and with tears on the ground, if you will save me, if you'll forgive me my sins, I will tell the world about you. That's, that's my story. You, just, you have an equally awesome story, but you've got to give the details of what you were before and how you came to know Jesus. Where was it? When was it? How did it happen? And then you'll notice, this is the most important part of your testimony. Tell how Jesus has changed your life. Look at verse 16 and to 23. Now, Jesus said, get up on your feet. Paul, I've appeared to you, and I've appointed you to be a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See what Paul's saying? I'm a servant. I'm a witness now. I used to hate Christians. Now I'm serving them. Now I'm preaching. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Now I'm being obedient to the vision that Jesus gave me. First to those in Damascus, that's where the light came. Then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Then to all the Gentiles, all throughout even Rome. I preached that they, or he hasn't been to Rome yet, but throughout, you know, Asia Minor and Europe. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. Who am I? I'm a man that God helps. So here I stand and I testify to small and great alike. I'm not saying anything beyond what the prophets of Moses said, that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. See, this is what Paul is saying. This is how Jesus has changed me. I am his witness now. I'm his apostle. He has sent me out. I'm telling the world how to be saved. What Jesus has done to you is going to be different. But you've got to tell how Jesus has changed your life and how he is changing your life. That is your story. I now have peace in my life. For the first time in my life, I can finally sleep. For years, I had to take pain medication to actually go to sleep. I was addicted to pain medication to sleep for years. And now I can go to sleep. Jesus puts me to sleep. I've been delivered from drugs. Guess what? I no longer watch pornography. No longer. Zero. A non-Christian is going to lean in and go, what? I'm now concerned about others. I used to give a rip about others. Now, I mean, now I actually go to church and I love going to church. A non-Christian hear that? That just amazes them. I now get direction from the Bible. You know, I, I can read the Bible, and it's like God speaks to me, and he says what I should do. Non-Christians are like, what the heck? They don't know anything about that. 
They don't know about the experience. Do you know I have a sense that God lives within me and the Holy Spirit comforts me, speaks to me, leads me. Non-Christian, just they, they, they sit there. They don't understand. They, they're going, this is finally real. I'm hearing something real. Not religion. I'm hearing about this guy and his relationship with Jesus, and they lean in. You know, I now serve as a greeter at Three Crosses, and I love it. Really? Now, notice what Festus says, and sometimes you get this reaction. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I mean, he's hearing this story, and he's like, this is so otherworldly. You think Paul's going crazy, but then look what Paul says in in response. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. And if you tell your story in a true way, it's powerful. It's so powerful. And people go, yeah, that is reasonable. That's the real living God that's showing up. Many of us for years have family and we've struggled sharing with them. At the risk of taking you out of this story for a moment, but I feel I must, and bring you to another story to make a point. Sharing with family is difficult. It's 10 times more difficult if you're using the wrong story. If you use the right story, you will have great impact into family. You say, what do you mean by that, Mark? Jesus went to a place where their gathering demoniac lived. And he healed this man. He allowed the demons from this man to go into a herd of pigs, and the pigs died in the Sea of Galilee. And the man was seated in his right mind, totally healed. And this man who came to know Jesus Beg Jesus, Jesus, please let me follow you. And Jesus said, no, it's not time for that right now to literally follow me. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, you go home. And he gave this man the greatest, and I believe it's the greatest advice in the Bible on how to tell your story to your family. Or anyone for that matter. Jesus said, go home, Mark 5, 19. And tell your own house how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. We think we're going to win our family by putting tracts out and Bible verses. That's so weird. When Jesus says, why don't you tell your brother how much mercy God has had on your soul? Why don't you tell them about what Jesus is doing and has done in your life, how he's transforming you? Why don't you start there? Because that's a story anyone's going to listen to. Don't start from the outside in. Start from your heart out. Tell about how you came to Jesus, where it was, when it was. Tell about what you used to be and who now you are becoming and get specific about how Jesus has changed your life, how he's healing your marriage. There are so many ways that God is at work in your life. Bring that out. Tell that story. I guarantee a non-Christian will be going, I want more. I want more. They're craving that, the real thing, not religion, a relationship. You conclude with the end by making an appeal about what you want everyone to remember. Notice how Paul concludes this time, chapter 26, verse 25. Uh, Paul again, he says, hey, I'm not insane. I'm telling you what's true and reasonable. The king is familiar with all these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, then finally the king speaks up. 
He says, Paul, do you think that in a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Do you actually think that I can become a Christian? And look what Paul replied. This is how you end, man. This is like bringing it home. Paul said, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but everyone who's listening to me right now, there could have been hundreds of people in that courtroom listening. I pray that every single one of you would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord and become just like me except for these changes. That's how you end it. Absolute boldness about the fact that the greatest need for that person's life is to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Unashamed. Bring it so that they call you insane, whatever. No, this is reasonable. And my prayer for you is that you would repent. You come to know Jesus. Come to know the eternal life that he offers that you just talked about in your own life. Please don't ask someone to repent until you have poured your soul out about how God has had mercy on you, the sinner. And you've talked about your own sin and how Jesus has redeemed you and changed you. You've got to talk about your own sin. That's what Jesus has saved you from. And when you talk about that, when you identify with a non-Christian, you come down to their plane and then they go, you were just like me. And now look where Jesus has brought you. If you can't rip off 10 ways that Jesus Christ has changed your life, you need to repent of that because he has totally changed your life and you've got to get before him, get that in your mind because that is your story, beloved. The living God has transformed you, and you're just living like he hasn't. And that's the story to tell. Please, don't give him Bible verses. Give him you, what Christ has done in you. And they will listen, and they'll go, wow. Hmm. Amen? So here's three guidelines to tell your story. Share your beginning. Tell about your life apart from Jesus. And this is what you say. I used to be, what's the best I used to be scenario for you? I used to be a criminal. I used to be a hood. You know, I used to be a, whatever you want to say. I used to be whatever. You come up with your own image, and then, guess what? You better take notes because you're going to do this in a second. And then build to the middle how you came to, but I used to be this, but on this date or when I was here or in, I came to church one day or whatever it was, I, Jesus convicted me. I put my faith in him. And guess what? He's changing me. List off a few things. And then you end with a bold appeal. You know, I don't know you very good, but the most important thing is that Jesus has changed me. I pray that you put your faith in Jesus. That is how you tell a story. So here it is. I'd like you to pair up. Kind of a bold thing. I want you to pair up with one other person. Ta try telling your story using these three guidelines. You got two minutes. One minute for one person. First person, get ready to go. I'm timing you. Go, go, go. Go for it. All right. Let's review, you guys. If you could uh, bring up our hero of the faith trade again, Robert, I'd like us to say this out loud. Let's read our trade again, you guys. Here it is. Ready? One, two, three. One of the most heroic things you can do is to simply tell your story. Okay. Let me review some things, and then I want to tell you a couple stories. Three facts about your story. It's one of a kind. It can't be argued with. It's given by God for you to be told. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell your, their story. Two truths to remember about your story. God has places arranged for you to tell your story. God has people prepared who long to hear your story. Three guidelines for telling your story. Start with the beginning. Tell about your life apart from Christ. I used to be. Build to the middle how you came to Jesus. But then one day I came to and how Jesus has changed your life. In these five ways, he has changed my life. And then you conclude with a bold appeal. That's how you tell your story. Now, one final principle 
It's up to us to tell our story, but it's up to God to use our story. And I think about the Apostle Paul and the many times that he told this story, six times recorded in the book of Acts, but how many times did Paul tell his story on the road of what Jesus had done in his life? And I think even of those stories that we have of Paul, his testimony, recorded in the Bible, and how many millions came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord because of Paul's testimony, because they could relate to a guy that was the worst of sinners who Jesus totally transformed. And did you know that in the year 323 AD, Constantine claimed Christianity as the official religion of all of Rome, that God used this apostle Paul and his story, ultimately, I'm going to bring you to Rome, and God did bring him to Rome. The power of story is so awesome. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story is the reason your family, people you know have not come to Jesus is because you're not telling your story. I'm just throwing that out there. I know that's a a big thing to think about. They triumphed over him. The him is Satan. Satan is, is causing family and friends and people we know to be bound in sin. We overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb, which has been shed, and the word of your testimony. Your testimony is powerful. So powerful. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. I was so indifferent to God as a high schooler. So self-centered, so full of pride. And one day, a young man shared his story in our youth group. His name is Jeff Battersby. And he gets up in youth group, and he said, I'm asking for prayer because I'm going to be going to Africa for three months. Jesus has changed my life. I want to tell others about him. That was the most powerful sermon I ever heard in high school because it was his real story. And I sat there as a high school kid with my jaw just opened, and God began to speak to me and say, this is what I want in your heart, a real relationship with you, Mark. Because of his story, he was telling what God was doing in his life. I had so many people preach at me. Preaching just turn you off. Story. You never know how God will use your story, even part of your story. Satan is going to do everything he can to get you to think your story is not worth telling even a portion of it. It's so powerful. People will never forget it. Never. They'll forget sermons, but they will not forget your genuine, real, honest journey with God. This is a beautiful story I want to close with. It's in a book written by a name named Tony. Just listen to it. And he's writing about an observation he made. One of the most touching stories I know he told me was by a pastor friend from Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. And he relates how one Wednesday evening at a prayer meeting at his church, a man gave testimony as to how he became a Christian while in Sydney, Australia. The man said, I was at this street corner at King's Cross. When I felt a tug on my sleeve, I turned and found myself face to face with a bum Before I could say anything, the man simply asked me, Mr., if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? That question troubled me over the next three weeks. 
the man continued. I had to find an answer, and I ended up giving my life to Christ. My minister friend went on to tell me that three years later, another man came to one of his Wednesday night prayer meetings and gave almost the identical testimony. He, too, had been at King's Cross in Sydney when a derelict had pulled on his sleeve and then asked him if he were to die tonight, where would he spend eternity? The second man, too, explained that the question so haunted him that he eventually sought and found an answer in Jesus Christ. It wasn't too long after that when my pastor friend himself had to be in Sydney for a church conference. On one of the nights off, he decided to go to the King's Cross and see if he could find a man who had been mentioned in his prayer meeting by two different people. He was standing on the corner in King's Cross when he felt someone tug on his jacket. He turned, and before the poor old man could ask him anything, he said, I know what you're going to ask me. You're going to ask me if I were to die tonight, where would I spend eternity? And the man was stunned. How did you know that? He inquired. My pastor friend told him the whole story. As he finished, the man started to cry. Mister, he said, 10 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus, and I wanted to do something for him. But a man like me can't do much of anything. So I decided I would just hang here on this corner and ask people that same simple question. I've been doing that for years, mister, but tonight is the first time I never knew it did anybody any good. Can I say this? One of the greatest goods you will ever do in your life is to tell your story. The greatest good to tell your story let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Go from here telling your story. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, who's our example of a hero of the faith. Lord, you use ordinary people, filled with your spirit, willing to humble ourselves and tell our story. You used Jeff Battersby in my life to rock my world there. And somehow years later, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. Somehow that story penetrated me. There was something real about missions that gripped me even then. Lord, what a difference. I praise you, O oh God, for the change you brought about in my life. For those that have shared their stories, Lord, help us to never underestimate the power of our story. Fill us with our spirit and a new willingness to be led of you even this week, to tell our story in part or in whole. Bring within us a boldness, I pray, to communicate at this level and to be humble heroes of the faith. All God's people said, amen, hallelujah.